Hello and welcome to the final episode of our Livewire series, Kingdom Patterns, where we're looking at how we find God's next step for us and we're trying to figure out um, how we find God's direction in our lives. And we've looked at this idea of patterns that repeat themselves. Today we're going to look at the fact that confirmation is trench-shaped. The idea of where we find confirmation that we're doing the right thing and one of the obstacles to finding God's direction is we look for it in the validation of other people. Now that's not entirely wrong. You know, if I'm wondering if God's given me a pastoral gift and no one ever feels cared for by me, I've probably not got a pastoral gift. If I think I'm an evangelist, but nobody um, converts to the Christian faith, I'm probably not an evangelist. If I think I'm gifting as a businessman, um, but I'm not making any money, then probably uh, people aren't getting behind me, then probably that's a helpful uh, thing to notice. The problem is that sometimes we, we simplify what the path will look like. Um, so let me show you this first diagram. So as we look at this diagram, we see efforts matched by recognition. And so often we may feel the way I'm confirmed, the way I know I'm in God's will is people are giving me money to do it or status or titles or resources. Now, you may not at first think that's really how you think, but you might be surprised how often those things influence the way we feel that God is in what we're doing. And so eventually our question moves from, Lord, what is the most effective thing I can do to friends, what's the most validated thing I can do? However, I want to suggest that understanding this kingdom pattern will help us find confirmation in a different place. So I'm going to talk about this idea of a trench. The fact that as we move forward in the things of God, recognition goes up, goes down and goes up again. So let's start because this kingdom pattern has three parts. The first part is that things are done for you. Let me explain. So often when we step out into the things that God has for us, we're kind of like the star. We're the newbie. Everybody takes notice and maybe people are very excited for us. And so people give us things even though we've not actually accomplished very much yet. So let me give you a quick example. For instance, the opportunity Pays apprentices who work with a Pays project get of going into schools and teaching classes. The fact of the matter is that they've not done the three-year teacher training in college or paid the fee they need to pay to do that and get that opportunity. They've simply done three weeks with Pays at something we call foundational training and are piggybacking on the reputation of Pays to get into those schools. So Pays has created a platform, created a situation for them with very little effort from themselves. And that's great, that's a good thing, it's something we should be doing. Those things happened for me, people created opportunities for me. So as we look at this diagram, we realize that our recognition exceeds the effort we're putting in, because to be honest, we've only just started and people are excited for us. So I remember a couple who supported me and I found out years later that the wife had gone out to get a second job purely to get more surplus income to give to me because they were excited for me as I first started schools work in the late 80s in England. By then I had accomplished very, very little. But people do things for you, which is absolutely wonderful. And it's all about God kind of creating that, that environment. It's a bit like a greenhouse where he puts things in place to help young shoots flourish. 
Uh, one entrepreneur said this, I'm amused when other agencies try to hire my people away and get the same results. They'd have to hire the whole environment. So this you could say is one of the dangers of the for you part of the trench is that because of the applause, because of the resources, because of the things that are, are created for us, we feel stronger than perhaps we really are. Again, if you think about a little green shoot, a, a small little um, flower beginning to grow in a greenhouse, that greenhouse protects it. If you took that shoot out at that point and put it in reality, it would really struggle. And so on pays, we're creating that greenhouse environment where people can grow and have a huge effect, even though actually they're only just starting in their ministry. It's a great feeling because people are for you and it's wonderful and there's a spotlight on you and it's great. But what happens next is the real tricky part of the trench. After things are done for you, things are done by you. At this part, what happens now is you're kind of old news. You're just part of the furniture. People are used to you being there. And actually, the level of recognition drops much lower than what you're actually doing. You keep plodding along. You keep working hard. You keep moving forward. You keep growing. Maybe the impact you're having is increasing. Maybe your skill set is increasing. You're getting better at what you do. But actually, the recognition doesn't match it. In actual fact, you feel like you're in this trench and it's pretty difficult. I remember a pastor being so excited about having the possibility of a pays team, he promised each apprentice a scooter, a motorized scooter like a Vespa. He said, when you bring the team here, we'll look after them. So eventually the team was put in that church and very quickly they became part of the furniture and the pastor forgot about those things and decided to spend the money he had elsewhere because we were just part of the furniture. It's a difficult place because here you're having more effect than you had before, but in actual fact, you don't have the recognition. And this is where it can get tricky. This is where we can give up because if our validation is in our resources and in our recognition, we're going to struggle. So for me, this part of the trench is a trap, like a cage. Let me explain. The problem is here, people don't really recognize what you're doing. And so it's very, very tough. But you equally know that if you gave up, no one's going to jump in there and carry on doing what you do. So in the early days of Pays, nobody really recognized, I don't think, that the major importance, maybe that's untrue, not enough people recognized the major importance of what I was doing. I remember one lady when I became the pastor of a church of 19 people thinking that was a promotion from reaching 70,000 students in schools every year. People just didn't recognize the importance of what I did. And I knew if I gave up, basically all those young people would miss out. Nobody was going to jump in. Nobody would carry on what I did. So I felt trapped. Now, if you don't have a sense of responsibility to lower your impact, and maybe that's not a problem. But for someone, someone like me and probably you, we know that actually if we step out of this, other people are not going to get the benefit. It's going to hurt other people. So it feels a bit like a trap. So many years ago, I had a kind of fantasy, and my fantasy went like this, that somehow, through no fault of my own, I would not be able to carry on with pays. Maybe the government changed the law, and it was impossible for Christians to go into schools. Um, 
it just felt like a trap. I needed someone to, to rescue me um, because I knew I couldn't drop out. And to be honest, that can last a long, long time. This trench can last a long time because it's a proving period, but it does not last forever because finally the third part is pretty exciting. This is when things are not simply done for you or even by you, but they're done because of you. So I noticed this a long time ago um, through various pop stars, which I know seems weird, but when I was growing up, because I'm old, uh, the pop stars of the 60s and 70s um, were really fashionable for a short period of time. So I think of people like ABBA and the Beatles and Tom Jones or Johnny Cash. They came on the scene and they were famous because they were fashionable. But very soon they became unfashionable um, uh, people my age would laugh when they heard a country music song or an ABBA song or a Beatles song. They were so out of fashion. And yet their fans, and they themselves in most cases, kept on plugging away. And suddenly, at some point, many years later, something weird happened and they kind of became icons suddenly. Suddenly they became legendary and they superseded their style of music. They were bigger than a fashion they were bigger than a period of time. And um, I think that happens in ministry as well. I think what we see in ministry is we see people who keep plugging away, keep building something, eventually get into that place where after a period of time, people look and those people become almost iconic. Uh, they, they came on the scene, people were excited about them, people forgot about them, and then people remembered them and suddenly what happens is those people have, an, have a, an effect or an influence that's even beyond what they can physically do because their reputation encourages others to get on board. But why? Well, people recognize your endeavor because it's something that is now proven. It's not proven by your commitment to success, it's proven by your commitment to the trench. You see, the trench proves that you believe in what you said you believe in. And people are more likely to invest in you to a much greater amount than when they first did because now they know that you're gonna stick with it even though things may get tough. How do they know you're gonna stick with it because things get tough or when things get tough? Because you already have, you've been through the trench and now they get on board. People will maybe um, partner with you or finance you or maybe even marry you because they know you're the kind of person that does not give up when things get tough. You see, success, your success may inspire people, but it won't help people reproduce what you just did. People need to see you go through the trench because that's what they're gonna have to do if God calls them to build something for him as well. So let's not look for confirmation in validation from other people. Just because our resources dry up one day does not mean that that's God's way of telling you it's the end. It's God's way of asking you the question, how much do you really believe in this? And how much will you pay for this yourself? As you look at the workshop, I would like you to take another look at this diagram and see where you might be on it. Where do you think you are right now in this pattern? 
Once you do that, I'd like you to discuss this with any group you're watching this live wire with. Once you've discussed it, I'd like you to write down what you feel your biggest challenge will be at this stage of the trench pattern. So let's look at a pilgrim who's been on this journey before us and see what we can learn from them. Uh, in the book, I go into great detail about this person and I really bring out things because I have read the story that I think you're going to find quite fascinating that are not in the Bible itself, but in the background and the context that are really helpful. For the sake of keeping this live wire short, I'm just going to really show you how this person went through the trench just to give you a biblical example. And the person I think who's a really good example of this journey is Nehemiah. So let's start looking at this. Let's look at our first passage of scripture. This is where things were done for Nehemiah. So this is where things were done for him, even though he hadn't really started anything yet. So we start at the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. I was cupbearer to the king in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lied in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? So the story so far is that here is Nehemiah, a Jew. The Jews have gone back to this place, but actually where they are is lying in ruins and his heart is sad because he feels that God would want to build up the walls again, build up the city. And so this is what happens next. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Chans Euphrates, so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. That's amazing, isn't it? This guy is just a cupbearer, but he gets letters for the king and he gets cavalry and soldiers to go with him. It's a classic case of someone starting on a journey, but somebody kind of getting behind and being excited for them, maybe not fully understanding what they're going to do, but getting behind them and giving them some of the basic tools that they need to do the job. An interesting thing is that the month of Nisan, Abib, means green ear. 
for me, that kind of signifies that the, the heart of the king was ready. His ear was ready to hear something. God had prepared the way. And so something was done for Nehemiah that he did not really deserve yet, but set him on his way. But then he enters the trench. And this, of course, is where things are done by you. So once he's a long way from the king, once he's just, just the cupbearer back in Judah, suddenly he gets all sorts of problems and accusations and ridicule. And suddenly that recognition he had in front of the queen, uh, the king just completely disappears. And we pick up the story in Nehemiah 4 verse 1 to 2. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Sambalat was right. The actual physical place was a complete mess. Burnt stones, nothing really on top of each other complete ruins and it wasn't simply the building that was in ruins the spiritual health of the people was in ruins as well in fact the wall and the state of the wall kind of was a visual representative of what was happening in the heart of the people and we hear from another book of the bible what was going on in the heart of the people Haggai said is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled housing while this house remains a ruin so the people were spending time on their own personal needs, but they weren't doing the things needed to glorify God and to build his walls. Malachi said this of them. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, there's an interesting backstory to this that we don't have time to go into. But again, if you read the book, you'll find it in there. Why were the people like this? Why were they um, putting themselves first? It was partly to do with the fact that they felt a long way away from God's promises. But Nehemiah still had God's promises burning within him. And through incredible sacrifice, he built the wall and got people to work with him. He plodded along and got the work done. In fact, we know that he even refused the benefits he should have got as a governor because he didn't want to have anything else that other people who were suffering didn't have. So he refused the things he was entitled to in order to be an uh, example to those that were really pretty much just being self-absorbed. It was an incredible thing he did. In fact, Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, uh, the, the guy who wrote a lot of the history of the Jews for the Romans said this. Nehemiah himself made the rounds of the city by night, never tiring either through work or lack of food and sleep, neither of which he took for pleasure, but only out of necessity. So we get this picture developing. Things were done for Nehemiah by the king, but very quickly they just disappeared. And in fact, he was in a very difficult situation. He wasn't getting the recognition. People felt a long way away from God. Uh, many people were attacking him, but he kept on building, kept on building. And then suddenly 
things changed dramatically. And this is where things are done because of you. Incredibly, Nehemiah built the walls within 42 days. Once they were able to get going, the work had stopped, the work had restarted. Eventually, it took 42 days to complete the wall. Did a phenomenal engineering job with incredible wisdom that God gave him. Again, you can read that in the Bible story. Uh, amazing work that he did. But he kind of did it, not exactly single-handedly, but he, he had a tough time. But eventually what happened, because of his dedication, was other people came on board, including some of the priests who carried a lot of weight with them, joined him and backed him up. Listen to this. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on that first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the word, the book of the law. Nehemiah has become a legend. In fact, I have a friend uh, who is a developer, land developer, and he built, uh, he built the, the, the village basically I live in today. And uh, he named his company the Nehemiah Project. Um, he is an icon for people who build things for the Lord. And his story is an encouragement for me. If his story was simply, he came on the scene, did a great job and everybody loved him, I don't know if that would have helped me because that's not my experience. Um, I'd have probably thought, oh my goodness, people don't love me. This is tough. People think it'd be better if I was a, a church pastor than doing what I'm doing. And I may have given up. But the story of Nehemiah has encouraged me and so many others that just because you don't have the recognition or the status or the money that should really come with what you do, don't think that God has left you. You're just really going through that test, that proving period that's going to speak to so many people so that at a later date, people will give you far more resources and help you far more than you ever expected. The words of Nehemiah now are iconic. This is a man who didn't just build a wall, he built a culture and many of us have adopted it. So let's look at our second workshop. Is there another Bible character whose life seems to follow this trench journey? If so, please plot their journey in the same way, creating the same diagram I just did for Nehemiah. Putting in the reference points and the scriptures to back up your thinking. So once you've done that, share your thoughts. If you're watching this in a group of people, uh, help them understand, help them see the pattern uh, that you can see in that biblical character's life. Maybe you can use Nehemiah, but someone else with people you're discipling to teach them the pattern of the trench as well. So let's look at the practices that those of us who are going through this trench, no matter where we are, need to adopt. I want to mention two very simple ones. There are more in the book, but for brevity's sake, um, let me just introduce the first one. Practice number one, lead yourself. Don't be led by those you should lead. 
Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take on board ideas, thoughts um, that people you're leading have. I do that all the time. Many of our best ideas sometimes have come from people uh, on pays that I'm leading. I'm talking about something different here. You see, being committed to the trench is a really cool thing because the more you're committed to it, eventually people are going to be committed to you. However, what you're also going to find is that some people who come along with you for the first part of the journey, the exciting part when everybody's on board, may leave you during the trench. Uh, there's a really good saying, I can't remember where it came from, but it's really helpful to know. People want to be where you are, but they don't necessarily want to walk where you walked. So often we look at our heroes, those icons, and we think, wow, they're amazing, I want to be like that person, but we don't study the journey that they went through. And even when we study it, we only kind of acknowledge it in our heads. Oh, well, that's kind of cool they went through that. We don't realize that we're going to have to probably go through something very similar. So you're going to lead people, but don't be swayed too much by lows you lead needing the validation from them because sometimes they're just going to drop out. It's just the way it is. Not everybody will walk through the trench. Not everybody will do what needs to be done to get to where they want to get to. So let's look at the second practice. And I know this is really simple, but look for God's confirmation, not people's recognition. Now, let me explain the benefit of this and why this is so important by just briefly going through those three stages again. So if you remember, in the first stage, people do things for you. Now, the problem here is that people will do things for you for all manner of reasons. When you first say you're going to do something, people kind of put their expectations on you, their aspirations. Uh, when I took on a church in Manchester with uh, the Foxy Lynn, my wife, um, we got letters through the door from people saying, we're excited you're taking on the church, we believe you're God's person. What I didn't realize at the time was they already imagined the kind of things I was going to do being the kind of things that they wanted to be done, if that makes sense. So they're on the journey for a short period of time. They're kind of excited for you. But then you go through the second stage of the journey. And what happens then is people can begin to realize what you're really up to, what you're really trying to build. Um, they may have joined you for the wrong reason. And when they recognize what you're really trying to build in your life and for, for the Lord, uh, they may drop out or they may get upset at you because they thought you promised something you never actually promised. Um, this is this obviously is particularly a good advice, I would say, for those of you who are leaders or become leaders or lead in lots of different areas. So we have to be careful because we go through this system and we go through this process and what it does is it kind of filters out other people's expectations of us. Now the benefit is by the time you get to this third stage, when people who stick with you see what you're building, if they really understand what you're building, then they will get on board but with much bigger resources because they give you the kind of resources for the kind of thing you want to do. People always give you greater resources when it matches what they want to accomplish. And that's important. So at first, they may put on you aspirations, their aspirations and expectations. What the trench does, it kind of shakes off 
that, that kind of fake support, if you understand what I mean. And so later on, you get the kind of people, and this is my experience, you get the kind of people who really believe in what you're doing. They're not trying to manipulate you. They're not trying to steer you in a particular way. The people who give to us the most, give in a way that's, that's no strings attached. They're doing it because they really genuinely believe in what we are doing. Now there's a video clip on YouTube that kind of shows what it feels like when you get to this stage, when, when you go through a period of time where people don't really get what you're doing and they, and they opt out, but then you finally meet that person who really gets it and the thrill that that is. So I'm gonna show you this video because it's, it's almost like you can see the trench in the one little clip and I think that's gonna be really cool for you. Sharks, my name is Johnny Georges and I'm the creator of the Tree TP water containment system. I'm asking for $150,000 for 20% of my company. Tree TP is water conservation and frost protection at its finest. Instead of using 25,000 gallons per tree per year, we're now only using 800 gallons per tree per year and doing a better job with a 30% increase in the growth of new trees and letting a farmer get his return on his money a whole lot faster. When good people come together, Good people come together with a noble cause. Great things happen. And water conservation is what TTP is all about. Can you tell us how it works? The normal way it's been has been without any kind of containment. A farmer would crank on his pumps and run them 10 hours, 12 hours. With the TTP, you contain the water around each tree in about 30 minutes, you're gonna have three inches of rain on this tree. And, and if I pull this tree teepee off, we're watering nine feet that way and nine feet that way. And it's just really wasting the water. About 10% gets to the tree. And nobody so, figured out a way to make a nozzle that shoots down towards the tree roots? Yes, sir, but you still get the wind diffusion from that. So I put an irrigation line on every tree. That's yes, what's sir. happening. And right now, before the tree teepee, I was putting 25,000 gallons a year onto that tree. Yes, sir. Now I buy the tree teepee. Yes, sir. I only put 800 gallons. Yes, sir. So I'm saving a lot of money in fuel, in, in fuel and water. Yeah, pumping well, it's not, pump, it's pumping the water to the tree costs me dollars, electricity. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. electricity or fuel. And the water itself I got to pay. Yes. No, you don't have to pay for the water in the state of Florida. In California, you do. But you're selling the tree teepee in California, right? I'm only selling in a five-county area in the state of Florida. How much does it cost to make one? Two ninety-five. Two ninety-five? Yes. Sir. How many have you made, and how many have you sold, and what do you sell them for? Okay, I have made uh, one hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred TPs. I'm selling them uh, to for an average for four fifty each. How much? Four dollars and fifty cents each. Okay. I make a dollar each. So you sell direct to the farm? Yes, sir. So you don't have any distributors in there? No, sir. Johnny, do you have a patent on this? Yes, sir. I have a utility patent. How, how long does it usually last? One season? No, sir. We leave them on for five years. Yeah, that never can stay on for five years? Yes, sir. Durable? These things last over 20 years. Okay. How long have they been on? What's the oldest one out there? 1984. Still out there. My father was an innovator in the irrigation world. We used to bank trees to make a long one short. What that means is we'd take a shovel before the freeze night and cover the trees up with dirt. After the freeze, we'd go pull them off. We were out in the grove, and I said, Dad, can we do something different? So he came up with a little bitty teepee we'd put on for that night and then pull it off the next day. 
So I look at him and I go, let's make these things bigger and we can leave them on year round. Look at the water we could save. Well, in 1984, he looked at me and said, oh, you're crazy. Water's cheap, you know. Doesn't matter. That's changed. <laughs> that has changed a lot. Haven't any distributors come to you and say, we want to sell this or we want to distribute it for you? We can take it way outside of Florida? Well, have you not called on any of them? I haven't called on any of them. Do you know what your market is? Do you in know Florida, how many? I do, yes, ma'am. We have 42 nurseries. 19 are commercial, the rest are private with growers growing their own trees. And those are the only people you've sold to? Yes, sir. Just the people you've done irrigation Just the people with. I know. Wow. This last phrase, I go out to a grove, I put out five tiki's, this woman gets out and she walks up to me and she says, you're trespassing in my grove. And I said, yes, ma'am, but I'm trying to show you something that's getting ready to freeze. We have the best frost protection device on the market right here we could put on. And, and she says, you've got to go, I'm calling the police. And I said, yes, ma'am, here's my card, I'm sorry. You know, because these are farmers, this is their land, this is their livelihood. So a week later, I get a call from the same woman. Hey, Johnny, this is Mrs. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I want to pay you for them five TPs. And I said, yes, ma'am, that's okay, don't worry about it. She says, well, I want you to bring me 4,995 more. The only five trees I got alive today. Wow. And my whole grove is these. Is there anything like this on the market? No, sir. There's no water containment system out there for the micro sprinklers. Why only five dollars? Why not charge twelve dollars? Ten or twelve or fifteen or because 20? Because I'm working with farmers and they're buying. They're not buying one. They're buying twenty. So why not seven thousand? Ten thousand, sir. Even even at ten thousand, right? Why not seven dollars? Well, I've never done that. I've always tried to be right. I make a dollar off each one. If I, I sold 7000 yesterday, I made seven Johnny, grand. Johnny, you, you could see a partner that, let's say I was a big distributor of water irrigation systems, and I see this product and you show it to me, and you make it for $2.50 and you sell it for 5 right? I'm, I'm making it for two ninety-five. Yeah. I sell them for four fifty. Okay, so I can't get involved with you because there's not enough margin for me as a distributor. I need to be able to sell it for $12 at least so that I can make some profit and you can make some profit, right? Because I'm now we're, there's two of us, two mouths to feed. Yeah, but you're selling the farmers. Okay, I get it, but I'm exploring where your head's at, all right? Okay. That means that there's no room in it for a distributor that can really scale this out because you said every farmer should have it. Every farm every, in America does Every tree that goes in the ground it. should have and a tree. In order for that to happen, I need a lot of Johnnies. There's only one of you. I need like... 2,000 Johnnies calling on farmers all across the land. Well, now, who's going to pay them, Johnny? Who's going to pay them? I'm out. Johnny? Yes, sir. Farmers are the cornerstone of America. There may be a lot of farmers out there that can't afford $12 per tree, but maybe they could afford 6 or $7. I'm going to give you everything you're asking for, your $150,000 for 20%. What you're doing is right, and you deserve the chance to make it big and do a lot of good. I'd like to be your partner, Johnny. I like everything you stand for, man, and Thank I you like partner. everything. <laughs> I think that's a yes, JP. Yes, sir. Okay, man. Good for you. All right, All right. God bless America. Show that it Thank works. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right, dude. Well done, partner. I'll All be a good right. one, too. I love that you care about the farmer. Johnny, tell your dad he's a great man. He died 12 years ago. Oh. He's still a great man. He made me who I am. We work hard every day. I worked for that man for 20 years. I thank God 
And I got to work with that man. He's an innovator. He taught me everything I know. He was hard on us, but nobody owes you nothing. Life is what you make it. He taught me that. And he was a great man. He came from nothing. You're a star, Johnny. Man, yeah. congratulations. Thank Superstar, dude. God bless you, right, Johnny. Thank you. So I find that clip a little bit moving because I've been in that situation countless times when I've shared a vision, people have got excited and they realized it's not actually what they thought it was. And I'm confused because I'm thinking, but surely we're all about the kingdom. We're not about just building churches. We're not just about attracting people to a building. You know, I've shared the vision and realized that actually the reason they wanted to connect with Pays is they just wanted to grow a reputation. Um, and then you find those people who they really get it. They really believe in what you're doing and it's so thrilling. So I wanna encourage you, if you stick at the trench, if you persevere, uh, the blessings that you are given, the resources you are given later on are so much better than the ones given at the beginning. The ones given at the beginning kind of have strings attached, the ones later on don't. And it's a wonderful feeling uh, to get through the trench and see God do things that are far greater or far bigger than you could ever imagine or you could ever pull off by yourself. So let's think about our final workshop uh, with that in mind. This is the final workshop for this episode and for this series. After you watch the video, please discuss what it must feel like when you are recognized and resourced by those with the same dream as you compared to those with a different agenda. Okay, so what, what must it feel like, do you think, when someone resources you, not out of a different agenda, but because they really get what you're doing? What must it feel like to have that kind of resourcing and that confirmation, do you think? Let me finish with one last thought. You know, when you persevere, uh, even at the outset sometimes, God anoints you. And when you persevere, you really see the benefits of that because uh, what happens with anointing is this, that what you did before does not become more easier, it just becomes more effective. Uh, and suddenly the words you say have greater weight. And when you suggest a plan, more people come on board because more people believe you're going to push through and see it happen. Success breeds success. Failure breeds failure. Don't fail. Keep persevering. Don't see confirmation in the validation of others. See confirmation in the word of God and see it if you know you're doing the things that Jesus would have done. That's the best way to get confirmation and it'll help you persevere. Yes, you'll feel like you're in a trap sometimes, but you'll persevere and you'll see the blessing on the other end. And this will happen time and time again in your life like many other of the kingdom patterns. So be blessed and uh, have a good workshop and see you next time.